Trees dropping at the movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen Respect today, the Aretha Franklin biopic. Yes, I was very eager to see it. Yes, um, I kind of consider this your revenge on me for making you see The Nighthouse, because frankly, The Nighthouse we saw yesterday, and a more by the numbers horror film you can't imagine, and I think a more by the numbers biopic you can't imagine. Well, I think neither of those is fair. As you know, I liked uh, uh, yesterday's film much more than you did. Uh, though, you know, the reasons I liked it, you found banal. But, you know, like, uh, I thought they were very interesting indeed. Uh, and I um, I was very disappointed in this film. Yeah. Uh, yes. But I thought yesterday, you can't go very wrong, you know, with a film about Aretha Franklin's life with those songs, right? And in that sense, it was true. I think, um, you know, the songs are all great. The story, you kind of know. Um, the film doesn't do very interesting things with it, I don't think. Though, I feel a pull, because on the one hand, you know, the first scenes, almost the first half hour, I thought, you know, how interesting, right? Because we saw Rocket Man and we saw Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm sure we've seen other biographical films about... We saw uh, Judy. We saw Judy. Mm-hmm. And this is the only one that is almost instantly political. Yeah? Mm. That, you know, the film begins and you already get a whole sociopolitical context. It's black people, it's in church. You know, they're wealthy within that milieu, but they're oppressed. Yeah, kind of, all of the sermons are about, yeah, kind mm. of, you know, living in, you know, a, a racist America. So, you know, the, the film already puts her whole life in that struggle, right? Mm. In a way that the other films don't need to, or, or don't, simply, right? Mm. Uh, they could have, but they don't. Uh, so, I, you know, I kind of, I had high hopes for it. And then Mary J. Blige appears as Dinah Washington. I almost, like, squealed because, you know, I love her so much. <laughs> and then, of course, she's got, she's got two scenes, really. One is good, the one in the dressing room. Mm. Yeah, uh, but of course she doesn't sing, and you think what a waste to have Mary J. Blige in this film, mm. you know, and not have her do something. And then, you know, the film began to lo- lose me and to feel long, in spite of the songs. Right, like, you know, I didn't understand why they were putting some things in. I knew that there would be an element of abuse, mm-hmm. you know, because actually that's something that I've always just loved about Aretha Franklin. You know that. To me, she she looks like a woman who's bruised, yeah, but also who's full of life, who's an ordinary woman, yeah, like just the way that she moves, there's a naturalness about her, mm. you know, uh, and also an affability, a ki- you know, I don't know, a kindness or whatever, but also a suspicion, yeah, like, you know, you get the feeling that you know, she is somebody who's been abused, yeah. Mm. But I think this film, it lacks the warmth that uh, uh, Aretha Franklin exudes. And actually, I think also the anger. Yeah, And there's something about the voice that I think it was just such a mistake to use Jennifer Hudson's voice. Mm. You know, Well, that, this was the reason, essentially, that I was not looking forward to this film, because I thought Jennifer Hudson is going to just belt left, right and centre. That's what she does. Yeah. She did it through Cats. Yeah. You know, and, and it didn't serve the song she sang in that uh, uh, memory. And I'm not... 
as familiar as you might be with Aretha Franklin. I basically know respect. Wow. And I thought, what else am I going to recognise? And it turned out I recognised um, Natural Woman as yes. well. But the rest of the songs I don't know. Yes. And I don't know her or her story very well. I know her as a figure and I've seen her in the Blues Brothers. That's about it, right? Mm. Um, and I saw her at, uh, at Obama's inauguration as well, which mm. I was kind of reminded of at the yes. end of this. You see some photos. But I thought, there's definitely got to be more. <laughs> there's definitely got to be more to Aretha Franklin than belting. You know, oh, for sure. And, there, and I don't oh. think there is much more to Jennifer Hudson than belting. I mean, the thing about Aretha Franklin's voice is that it, it has, it's almost like a healing voice, you know? So uh, I, I wanted to, you to hear that song, I'd rather drink muddy water, because, you mm. know, it is all a song about, like, you know, leaving and being hurt and, you know, and pain in a way. Mm. But actually, that there's something kind of almost healing and warm about her voice singing that, right? And the ease with which she goes up and down notes. It doesn't feel... She's not showing off so she can hit the high notes. She's using the scale as a means of expressing certain things, yeah? Yeah. With her, uh, 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 with her control over that incredible voice that she's got, right? Um, so I think it's almost like the antithesis of, of Jennifer Hudson, actually. Uh, I also think that Jennifer Hudson, to me, as an actress doesn't exude warmth, you know. Mm. Uh, so again, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, just to, to compare to that bit of Aretha Franklin playing the waitress in The mm. Blues Brothers. Because actually, you can believe her as a waitress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was look, thinking exactly body, that. Walk, when you were saying she looks like an ordinary woman. Yeah. It's like she makes sense as a waitress in that. Yeah. And then she also makes sense pushing the guy around in that scene and the way she's behaving towards him. She, it, it's a good performance. It makes sense. And she's so sexy, I think. Aretha Franklin, yeah? I mean, whether you personally or anybody personally finds her sexy or not, she's somebody who exudes sexuality, yeah? Who kind of exudes a knowledge that you can have a really great time with sex, yeah? And she's and there's an ease with that, right? Which, again, Jennifer Hudson, to me, does not exude that. Well, that's not something that the film exudes at all, actually. Mm. And it's funny, the film intimates as if it's going to. It sort of says, uh, the, uh, the Ted character... Um, who the dad considers a bad influence mm. and so on. He's the one who is sort of saying, Ch- church girls are some of the nastiest girls I know. Mm. And you, deep down, you want to have a good time. And you bring that out in your songs. If mm. you do that, then you'll have a hit. That's all she mm. wants is a hit. So it kind of intimates that it's going to go there. But actually, it never does. Yeah. It never does. It's uh, a really chaste film, actually. Well, it's more than that. It's really... Moralistic is the wrong word, but I think it's a film that's trying to pin everything down too easily. So, uh, without giving you an in or an understanding or, you know, so the main trauma in the film is that Aretha Franklin as a little girl is sexually abused. And, you know, she has a teen pregnancy, two teen pregnancies, in fact. And of course, I think Aretha Franklin never said who the father was. I was just looking this up because I wanted to find out what what truth value there was in some of the things and um, from what I can get the the uh, father of her youngest child is not really known I think um, and, and whether it was a rape or not is I mean well she was very young but that's kind of not established right it's yeah. something that the film absolutely implies yeah um, well more than implies I mean you know yeah it's, it's the only reasonable reading of that scene it just cuts away yeah yeah uh, and I thought that was interesting and important because the way the film plays it, if it hadn't had the scene with showing you that ma- that young man, mm. 
you would instantly have thought that it was the father who abused her. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you would. But it's, I think it's just very badly handled. And the, the, the most upsetting thing for me is how badly lit is this film? Mm. Mm. You know, it's atrocious. I, I saw the film ends with uh, the Amazing Grace concert. You know, and I saw the film. It played at the Midlands Arts Centre not too long ago. And, of course, it's, like, incredible. You know, this, it's an amazing documentary. But what I just want to say here is that the image quality in what was filmed as a documentary film, mm. yeah, with set lighting, yeah, is a million times better than what you get here, mm. right? So, you know, if they could get that lit up, you know, with everybody in the church looking beautiful, you know, and Aretha Franklin look, looking amazing and, you know, showing the full range of her skin tone. Why can't a film do it? Yeah, I mean, it's really inexcusable, I think, uh, the way this film looks. It, it looks exactly like I expected it to look. It, oh. there's, there's very... I mean, but I didn't expect it to look any good. <laughs> there's very little variation in shots. There's really not a memorable shot in the mm. whole thing. The lighting is this shadowy, shady, trying to be moody at times, but just... just, just low quality lighting that's not expressive enough is quite boring um and it goes for the narration as well the narration is exactly what i thought it would be the way the story is told it basically plays like they filmed a wikipedia article mm. except you actually go to wikipedia <laughs> and find out that a lot of the stuff that's in the film isn't on wikipedia um like it's it's a lot of and then you know okay so she's 10 years old and her dad makes her sing and she likes singing and she has piano lessons and then she's a little bit older and she does this and then she meets this guy and then and then and then there's no like buts or therefores or mm. you know it's it's all just this and this then this well i think the film tries to make something of her self discovery yeah uh, and her move into muscle shows but again that's part of the narrative really that's mm. you know nothing you didn't know i think it would have been um more interesting, you know, because also they make it seem as if all of those early 60s records that she didn't, uh, uh, that were not hits, you know, were also somehow not good. And if you listen to them, they're amazing. She's amazing, right? She can sing all of those songs and, mm. and make them beautiful and moving, you know. So, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, she was, it, she didn't gain her greatest success with that. You know, but uh, she continues to sing a wide repertoire, you mm. know, right to the end. And she could sing anything. And she did. Uh, so that whole thing, it just didn't make sense. And actually, I think too much space was devoted to things that didn't make sense. I mean, I knew that the film would end with, um, you know, the, the Amazing Grace concert, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Despite but, the fact she had a career long after that, I was 72. Yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, it ends at that. That's a high point. Yeah, which again is something in the film that doesn't work because the reason that why it ends there is because the film is also about her relationship with her father, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and actually too much of the film is about her relationship with her father. So on the one hand, the film is setting forth a, a feminist narrative about, you know, her finding herself, her overcoming abuse, her finding her voice, so to speak, and her rhythm, mm. you know. But actually that's undercut by, you know, the father's approval being... Yeah, yeah. The like, end of the film. Yeah, <laughs> this moment of reconciliation before the concert and reconciliation and forgiveness. Well, not even forgiveness. It's like they don't even address all the differences that they had. What the father says, Forrest Whitaker. He's very good. Hmm. Um, he's wonderful. He's a wonderful presence. She says, "She says I'm glad to see you here." Something like that. 
And he says, oh, that's funny because we haven't been friendly in a long time. But that's as much as it's addressed. And, mm. and actually, the differences between them are quite deep set. He's a very, very controlling figure. Yes. And it's that's quite effectively portrayed through, yes. through her kind of youth in this film. Yes. Um, but it just goes at the end. Yes. And you don't even get that it's gone because, uh, you know, the relationship with God is more important or she, it's a homecoming because it is a homecoming. She's back to her church mm. um, and, and performing with the choir and everything. But again, kind of ignored. Although I do like the um, reconnection with the band leader, the church band leader. Yes, um, I like that moment. They have a nice relationship from the start because he's teaching her the piano. And yes. you do get this feeling of it being a, a homecoming and very important to her. And also you get the feeling of when she's talking to Jerry, uh, what's his name, played by Mark Maron, the record producer. Mm. Um, Jerry Wexler. And she's saying, I want to do this gospel album. She's, and he goes, absolutely not, no way. There's, there's no money in that. What are you doing? It's ridiculous. No one's going to get it and all this. It's 1973. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 1972, for God's sake. Um, but you, you you do get the feeling of, like, why giving that, giving up the, 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 the big tour or whatever for this personal thing is very important to her. You get... I mean, actually, it really... Like, Troy Deeney just signed for Birmingham City, right? And he's exactly the same thing. He's a blues fan and he's come home and he's taken a big wage cut to do it. And that's exactly like Aretha Franklin going back to the church. And this this season is Troy Deeney's amazing grace season. I guarantee mm. it. God. It means a lot to me. I think the film makes um, too much, I think, of the parallel between the father's abuse and the husband's abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the father's abuse... Well, maybe not. Actually, I'm thinking aloud here. Because, you know, I think that... Well, one of the things that the film is, inter- is very interesting on is that, you know, you get this whole setting of racist America and civil rights, yeah... Um, fights for civil rights and, you know, arrests and killings of black people, you know. And on the other hand, you get an equal um, dramatization of patriarchal power within the family Mm and kind of, you know, abuse of of women and women kind of catering to them and, you know, organizing their lives so that they're um, less volatile, yeah. Uh, And you see the women kind of managing the men all the time. But I still think that comparing the father, you know, to the husband is a bit much because, I mean, you know, what we know of the reverend is he might have been controlling, you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, the difference between being controlling and being a wife beater, you know, hmm. though there is an indication that he was he was also violent with his own partners, you know, so maybe I'm... Well, the, there is talk about the reason that the mother left, left yeah. and which... Apparently, Aretha has kind of forgotten because her sisters kind of fill her in, remind her actually this it was this bad when we were kids. Yes. But it's not really spelled out to the audience. No. Um, like it, it's kind of intimate. Well, I got more more of the impression it was uh, him playing away, but abuse could easily also kind of be part of it. And I think there's maybe a suggestion of that too. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they wanted to draw the parallel of abuse, I think we might have needed to see more from the father. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of what happens in this film is done through the most contemptibly perfunctory suggestion of here's the next thing that happens. So, like, she signs with Columbia and then has a series of records that don't do as well as, she, as she's mm. like. But it, it just kind of skips through how this happens. And, and 
I know you're saying actually too much time is devoted to it, and you may be right, but I also think not enough explanation is given to it. It's just they happen not to do well. Well, why didn't they do well? What was going on? And then what made her... You know, Respect is a song that kind of turns it around for her. Mm. And you do get that scene that these films always have of how that song was written and, you know, making it up. And you just... It's so cringeworthy. Um, But obviously Respect is a great song and you can hear it. But the film doesn't actually put anything into it. Oh, this is how it turned around for her. This is exactly where it came from. I, I didn't I didn't know when Respect came out, right? I didn't know that where it was in her history. That, that, that's, well, my understanding is that that's not uh, uh, um, the song that, uh, that turned it around, really. No, no I think... Um, is it... Is it... I never loved the man the way I loved you? Right. Uh, you know, when they're, the, the song that the husband brings in that is written by one of his friends and... The first song they do at Muscle Shoals. Right, yeah. right. Um, That's a scene that I liked. I mean, what I liked about that scene was that they start playing the song together and, and they're working it out, basically. They're working out what the arrangement's going to be and they just start playing it through. And they're like, no, no, this isn't working. It's too busy. Let's try something else. And you really actually get a feel of and an understanding of how a song is developed. Yeah. And how in the moment that works. Because basically these guys are all professional musicians and they're jamming and they know what to do. So it's not a case of we're going to write this all down on sheet music and give it... You just... You you feel it. You feel the music and you mm. improvise and that's how it comes out. And that's that's actually a good scene for giving you that, that impression. I like that scene as well. I, I also, unlike you, I did like the scene of respect. Yeah, when they're singing in the middle of the night and the, you know, the <laughs> sisters come in. Yeah, I did like that, actually. I also thought that the arrangement for that was beautiful. The uh, vocalising of the two sisters... Mm. And the harmonies around it were beautiful, you know. And the sisters exude a warmth. Yes. But actually, I don't think Jennifer uh, uh, Hudson does. No, I did like that. And when she tells the one sister to pitch down a third, and then you hear the difference mm. that it makes. And again, it's it's about developing the song. But I mean, the thing about Re, 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 because apparently her sisters call her Re, and everyone in her life calls her Re, in yeah. short. And then that becomes Re, 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 Respect. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, I love this because actually you wonder where that comes from in the song "Re Re Re." Because it, it I think there. it comes from "Re Re Respect." It's respect. It, 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 come on, come on! It's nonsense. No, because the other version doesn't have it. Uh, well, so, yeah. Well, re, yeah. Re, 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 re. yeah. It yeah, but it's possible to come from this first syllable. Well, we don't know that, right? So you can't say that. And actually, it would make sense to me, right? So. I, I, I found that... Uh, I mean, that to me is an scene. obvious cinematic invention. Well, we don't know that. No, we don't know, but it's also obvious. I, well, I don't think so. I mean, I, it makes sense to me, and you have no reason to say otherwise. It's really. like, it, it's just it's one of those scenes. That's how it does it. It's, this is the invention of the big song, and let's make it into this cute little thing. And yeah, well, you know, you keep going about the big song, but she had bigger hits than that. Yeah. So, um... It's the name of the film. It's the name of the film. Uh, and the and title comes up, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, in... In turn, which I quite liked actually, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about Jennifer Hudson's performance because you know she's being like talked about for Oscars and so on, and I just didn't think that she was good enough, really. Mm, I think she's the obvious choice for the role, really. I suppose so, yes, but that doesn't make her the right choice for the role, yes. I think, I think there's something about. Aretha Franklin, there was almost like pure emotion that you could read the emotion in her face. I mean, so aside from what she could do with her voice, 
Mm. Yeah, and her, you know, the the voice that she had, and then what she could do with it. There was, um, you know, there was there was something about just her face, right? Like it's almost like you could tell what she was thinking from watching her, right? Mm. She always had like the sullen, like you know, keep away kind of thing, you know, and then but also could be like really warm and you know and intelligent, and also she was like really girly in a way. Like there's, yeah, mm. it's kind of what a great role to play. But I, I just don't think that um, Jennifer Hudson conveys many of those things, actually, you know, and certainly not well. And yeah, I mean, I think this is the film where her, you know, the the director's idea of great acting is to have her wake up bruised and without makeup. Yeah. <laughs> with her hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and at one point, I was thinking as it goes down the kind of the list of uh, cliches of a music biopic, I was thinking the only thing this is missing is drug abuse. And then within a minute, she was an alcoholic. Yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I suppose the only thing actually it really ends up with that that those films don't have is it has a happy ending. You know, whereas those are always depressive and suicidal and drug overdose and all that. Mm. This does not go that far. That's not her story. Um, there was one thing that I did like, although I, I didn't initially, but it became something good, which was the use of songs as conversations. It makes that very explicit because songs are like, the, these songs don't come from nowhere. They never do in these music biopics, and they're about talking about where the music comes from. They mm. come from people's lives, and they mm. write about themselves and their feelings and so on. And here it's made quite explicit in that scene at the start where Aretha is young and um, she visits her mum because the parents are separated. And this is after she's been abused and she's not speaking. Well, maybe it's not after that, but um, she, she doesn't want to talk. So I think it is then, because then she says, well, maybe we can sing it. We can sing in conversation. And so they sing a conversation between each other. How are you feeling and so on? Mm. And I thought, oh, that, yeah, that's, mm, that's all right. But then um, later, when she's singing Think, on stage mm. and there's a line in it I need you and you need me at that point she sings it to her sisters mm. in the backing group mm. and they sing it back to her and like and that's that because that's a conversation too right she's mm. it's direct address of this song to her sisters yes that re- it's like it's a little subtle moment but it really worked for me I got it and it came together there yeah I like that yes because there's also that other point where the woman who's just a fan uh, sees her in the lobby of the hotel and says when you sing it's like you're singing to me I know but I hated that actually (laughs) you know because what you want is the film to show you that because there is no question about that you know that is why Aretha Franklin is maybe the most you know the most significant female figure in you know American pop song yeah it's because she articulated feelings and emotions and situations you know to an audience that, that didn't otherwise have find expression or shared expression. Mm. Uh, so, you know, she is that significant, right? And not only to kind of, you know, uh, black audiences or black female audiences, but I think, you know, women in general and, you know, and beyond, obviously, right? But the film doesn't show you that. No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, kind of the significance of the song, think, you know, respect, all of those songs, they're like feminist anthems, right? So you would have liked to have seen some of the connection between that and female audiences and not always addressed to the male perpetrator or the, mm. you know, the person who, who mm. ignited the song, right? Some of the cathartic yeah. communication with the female audience, you know, is something that I is particularly lacking in what I think sets out to be a really feminist film. Yeah, like 
I think, you know, the feminism is structures built into the film's DNA. And it's very disappointing, you know, that it gives you this particular dramatization of it. Yeah. And that lack <clears throat> of expression of what the songs mean, uh, or what they mean to people and all that kind of thing, it was also true of Bohemian Rhapsody. I mm. think that was just playing the songs. Whereas Rocket Man and Judy, I would say both actually did a very good job of expressing what the songs meant to people and what the songs mean to the the creators as well, the singers. Since you bring up those comparisons, I just want to mention one more, which is Lady Sings the Blues, which is the Diana Ross version of the Billie Holiday story. Right. And it's also a film in which Diana Ross uh, sang all the famous Billie Holiday songs. And of course, you know, Billie Holiday is like one one of the all-time greatest singers, though I think Diana Ross is as well. But she's not in that bit, you know. But Diana Ross definitely had her own sound, mm. which is very different than Billie Holiday's. And so for my generation, I mean, we, or certainly myself, let me just speak for myself, I was introduced to Billie Holiday via the Lady Sings the Blues soundtrack, via Diana Ross, right? Mm. Even though, yeah... I mean, people hated Diana Ross at the time singing those songs and they criticized her for singing them and so on. Uh, You know, but, um, you know, for me, it didn't bother me. And it's, you know, and it was a conduit to Billie Holiday. And I was thinking that perhaps younger people, you know, maybe Jennifer Hudson is a conduit to Aretha Franklin Mm. or might be a conduit to Aretha Franklin, except I don't think so. Right, because I do think that, you know, Aretha Franklin's songs are still everywhere with us. Yeah, she doesn't need Jennifer Hudson to be a conduit to her. And also, the voices are not distinct enough. Mm. Yeah? I mean, basically, what Jennifer Hudson tries to do is mimic all of the uh, uh, Aretha Franklin uh, intonations and Mm -hmm. the arrangement. I mean, she's just, you know, doing Aretha Franklin vocally. Right, she doesn't make those songs her own. They don't have different arrangements, right? And the thing is that you know she's doing Aretha Franklin, but she's doing Aretha Franklin worse. I she's not following the film's message from Dinah Washington. Yeah, sing your own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Sing, no, she's doing Aretha Franklin, which maybe she needs to. You know, uh, it is a biopic after all. But actually, she is constantly falling short. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know all of those songs. And I want to hear Aretha Franklin sing them because she sings them better. <laughs> yeah, you do always end up with that feeling with a bad biopic, bad musical biopic. We're just like, I could just listen to the songs. Mm. That's definitely what I felt with Bohemian Rhapsody. And and especially given that there's a documentary that this film ends with, the Amazing Grace documentary, like, wow, why couldn't we have seen that? Well, I did. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you didn't want to. <laughs> no, no, I, I, wouldn't, I, don't think I, would, I don't think I knew about it. And, uh, you know, so I may watch it, you know. I'm a huge fan. I mean, I think there have been uh, eras of my life where I have listened very intensively to Aretha Franklin mm. uh, for various reasons. Uh, I mean, you know, there was a whole summer where Freeway of Love or something like that was the song that, you know, you heard from all the cars, you know, in Montreal in the summer. Yeah, it was a huge hit. And, you know, so you'd be walking down the street and all of a sudden you'd hear Freeway of Love. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, two other kind of more intense and private things. She is part of the soundtrack of my life. 
Uh, and so I was very eager to see this film and I was very disappointed by it. It was interesting that she grows up with economic privilege. Yes, very um, much so, yes. You know, I think, I, I didn't again, didn't know where she came from and you may expect her to come from poverty and so on. Um, and the thing is, I suppose the economic privilege does not protect her yes. from abuse, racism, sexism. Yes. Yes, well, um, and, clearly, and in fact, it also adds pressures. The dad really wants her to perform. The dad, you really get the feeling very early on, is uh, seeks to make money off her yes. voice eventually. Well, I mean, I think the film kind of is very interesting because it, you know the question of class is there, right? But the film also shows you how kind of you know if uh, if you're looking at these things in a complex manner, race and and gender, you know, trump class. You know, the class doesn't protect her. From patriarchy and it doesn't protect her from from racism no but the ted character is definitely lower class compared to the family and that's what the dad objects to well no i think the dad is objecting more specifically that he's a pimp and a gangster yeah well, well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just that he's poor no, i know but he does if he were working feeling. in a factory it might not be such a big deal yeah, sure. <laughs> but he does have that feeling that, yeah this this lad doesn't belong in this house yeah sort of thing i think um Oh, I don't want my daughter getting into that. He's, he's sort of controlling and protective of her. The one scene that I think is sexy in the film, and really, it's a, as I said, it's a disappointment because Aretha Franklin exudes sexuality and a pleasure in sexuality. Uh, but it's the scene where uh, she and Damon Wayans, is it? Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans eye each other up. You know, and there's a mm. real sexual charge in that scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's her looking at him, looking at her. Yeah, and it kind of, you really definitely, it exudes a sense of, of heat. Yeah. Mm. Um, mainly from him, I think, though, but still. But you just fancy him. Well, he's very good looking. <laughs> he's very fanciable. <laughs> and the last thing I'd say, and this is... Like at the same time, minor and actually quite important is the very first scene where the dad gets Aretha to sing at a party mm. in his house, and she's ten years old. That's the scene where where you're going. This is the introduction to her amazing voice, and it's not so amazing. Well, it's not. It's it's not just that the voice wasn't all that great, but it was also lost in the mix. Actually, yeah. there was so the sound of the crowd kind of going ooh over it, and the music was far too loud, and actually. You don't get the impression of this amazing kind of show-stopping voice. I felt that too. I mean, I felt that, you know, the way the scene, the scene is set up, you need to be wowed. Yeah. Right? This is Aretha Franklin. Right? And you're not. No. Yeah? I mean, the voice is good. You know, the child is fine. <laughs> yeah. But it's not wow. Right? And, and actually, there have been moments kind of listening to Aretha Franklin, even on record, you know, though particularly on television, because there's something also about her look and her movement, but it's like the, the you know the hair on on your mm. arms rate is like it has happened to me listening to her. And it happened not... to me at the end of this, where in the in the credits, um, you walked out during it, but it was you saw the start of it. It was um, uh, I stayed I, I stayed on the staircase. Oh, did you? Yeah, right. Um, uh, it was uh, Aretha Franklin in, in her seventies. I think. Uh, yeah, it, it's at the Carol King Kennedy Honours, right. where she sings Natural Woman, and it's just gobsmacking. It is, and she, she's incredible. 
and it's it's seeing her and seeing her control the stage and the audience is absolutely wowed by her. And then at one point she's just she's singing, you make me feel like you make me feel like and she's repeating and repeating and repeating. And then she takes off this big fur coat that she's wearing and the whole crowd goes crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. And that really made me feel like it. there was, there was that that really actually made me well up a little bit. That and there were I think there was one or two moments in the film that made me do that as well. Which I think felt honestly earned. Hmm. Um but the film still ultimately was a disappointment. Mm. Um, so, which were those two moments? I can't. I mean, I think I think the end when she sings "Amazing Grace" and the film finishes. No. And then that leads into the Carol King performance. I can't think what the other one was, but I think I felt it felt at another point. Mm, I didn't feel anything. Mm. Um, oh yeah. But the film. <laughs> but I mean, the film is only doing basic things to put you in that position. It's yeah. not really doing anything special. On the other hand, I didn't feel manipulated by it. So that's all um, right. no. Um, very earnest. Um, yeah, it lacks dynamism. And it's very ugly to look at. Mm. And actually, that got me upset. <laughs> you know, really. No, because filming black people has been such an issue, mm. right? Like, the cameras are not designed. The lighting is not designed. You know, and this is a film about one of the great black icons of... one of the Well, one of the great icons of the 20th century. And this is the lighting you get? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was amateurish beyond belief and, mm-hmm. and, and careless beyond belief, I think. I agree. Uh, so so it got me upset. Anyway, uh, I don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Just go and listen to her record. <laughs> yeah, listen to her record. Watch her on TV. She's fab. Yeah, you don't need to, uh, to watch this movie. Uh, and in fact, you know, this movie might get in the way of really understanding how fabulous Aretha Franklin is. It's not the film you choose as an introduction to her. It, no. it, this film, for me, to a great degree, functions as a kind of introduction to her because there's so much that I, I'm not familiar with about Aretha Franklin mm. and it doesn't feel like the film that shows off why she's the icon that she is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.